Welcome back to the Football Outsiders Fantasy Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Spratt, a writer for FootballOutsiders.com. It was a very fun week one of games, and there's a ton of fantasy news to talk about with that. You can check out a lot of that work on FootballOutsiders.com, including my waiver wire column up on Tuesday morning. But today on the podcast, we're going to have a very special guest, Danny Kelly from The Ringer, to go through the, the top six most interesting fantasy football waiver ads for week two. Okay, joining me on today's episode is Danny Kelly, fantasy football writer, podcaster, and draft expert for The Ringer. Hey, Danny, how are you? Thanks for joining me today. I'm doing really well, and I appreciate you having me on. It's uh, it's really fun kind of having football to finally talk about here. Absolutely. And you know us fantasy footballers, we really can't ever get enough of drafting. So for our <laughs> waiver wire content today, I kind of wanted to treat this like a draft where you and I just go back and forth, each give each other our three, I'm going to say most interesting waiver wire recommendations for week two, not necessarily mm-hmm. the best, um, but just guys that you may have some interesting observations about. And as the guest, I think it's only fair that you go first, Danny. So who do you like as a waiver wire ad for week two? So this guy, I think I had kind of like on the back of my mind, sort of like, you know, just on the back burner, really. I didn't really know how the whole uh, rotation was going to pan out for the Colts, but Naheem Hines kind of emerged as like a really, really interesting fantasy option this year. And um, it stems basically from, Philip Rivers penchant to check down to his running backs. You know, it's just something that he's done throughout his career. He's turned a lot of guys into big time fantasy stars because of his, you know, ability and willingness to consistently check down to these guys. And we saw that in week one with the Colts, Naheem Hines um, came out and, you know, not only was he a big part of the passing game, but they were using him a little bit in the red zone on, you know, red zone carries. So he was getting those really, really valuable fantasy touches and so um especially with uh marlon mack going out with an achilles injury that looks like it's going to keep him out for the season um it's now jonathan taylor and heinz i think in this backfield and heinz is going to have a really big role if not like the you know uh right came out i believe and said this morning that jonathan taylor is going to be starter but i kind of see them using both of those guys a lot yeah i definitely could and you kind of mentioned it with rivers and his history with the chargers even though he had receiving backs that weren't normally like the starting running backs, uh, he he helped kind of shepherd three of those guys to having at least 59 catches in a season. Darren Sproles, Danny Woodhead, and most recently Austin Eckler. So I could definitely see that sort of thing happening this year with Hines, especially with Mac out. He had eight targets in week one, which puts him on pace for 128. That would have been second most among running backs last year, even if it's not to that extent. It, I could definitely see him <laughs> having fantasy value. Uh, especially in PPR formats. One last thing to add is just kind of like, you know, strengthening this Philip Rivers thing. It's it's such a strong, strong like correlation wherever he goes. He targeted his running backs 37% of his passes yesterday <laughs> on Sunday. Yeah. And as sort of like a contrast, if you look at Tyrod Taylor, just 3%. I saw that stat from Adam Leviton on Twitter. It's basically just like, yeah, it's crazy. It's such a quarterback related thing. And I think that's just such a huge signal to pay attention to here. That's good. Okay, for my number one pick, it's actually not a guy that had a ton of production on Sunday, but Chris Herndon, the tight end for the New York Jets. Yeah. Uh, the, Jet, the Jets had kind of a bad day all around. But if you look a little bit past just the basic numbers, the 37 yards, you'll see that Herndon had seven targets on the day, just 33 aimed attempts by Darnold and the team in general. So put him to 21.2% target share for the week. Uh, before wow. Monday, that's the seventh highest among all tight ends and would have been sixth highest at the position last season. 
I think, I mean, from my perspective, I don't know how you feel about this, Danny, but it's, it's really always been about the health. Hernan had a lot of injuries, plus the suspension last season. It kind of disrupted what was an incredibly productive and efficient rookie season. Mike Clay pointed out that he's one of the 10 best yards per target rookies in the last 15 years. And the list of tight ends on that, on that list, it's like all the best guys in the league. It's like Mark Andrews, Gronkowski, yeah, yeah. uh, Zach Ertz. See, like, and, and Hernan is in that list too. If he's healthy and with the lack of other options on the Jets, I could really see him having a huge fantasy season. Absolutely. This guy is so interesting too, because it wouldn't surprise me, honestly, if people just kind of dropped him after looking, you know, if he's, if he's not on your waiver wire right now, people might be yeah. dropping him this week just You're because right. you look at that stat line six for 37. And honestly, it was disappointing because I was expecting good things, but um, I think that context is so crucial. You know, like you said, the, the target share was really strong. Still the Jets offense just couldn't do anything against a very good Buffalo Bills defense. Um, I'm still bullish on Herndon as a player. I, like you said, I think he like his background is really strong. What he did as a rookie was really strong. Um, he's a really good player, athletic. He's made some really spectacular catches in his short career already. And like you said, there's just nobody else in that offense. Like Crowder's going to get, I think, the lion's share of the targets in that offense. But Herndon's close second. And there could be games where he ends up being like the most targeted player in that offense. So um especially now with Le'Veon Bell out, you know, they just have nobody, it's, it seems like. So, yeah, yeah they're going to force feed him. It's, it, it feels like going forward here. And piggybacking on your point there, the Bills are a difficult matchup for tight ends. They cut yards per target to the position by 7% last year. That was top 10 in football. So he'll have easier days and I think many more productive fantasy days going forward. Okay, Danny, give us your second choice. Uh, Malcolm Brown of the Rams. I think he's a guy that a lot of people kind of just looked past because of the, uh, cause of the cam makers. I, I was one of them for sure. I was really excited yeah. about what cam makers could do this season. I still am excited. I think, you know, eventually Brown or eventually acres will probably, you know, take control of that backfield, but it didn't feel like it, it's going to happen like anytime soon, at least in the next couple of weeks. And so, you know, if you can pick up Malcolm Brown on the waiver wire, get a few good weeks out of him. Um, I think that's definitely still worthwhile, still worth trying. And, um, you know, frankly, he looked pretty good last night against the Cowboys. He was uh, making guys miss. He, you know, was a reliable runner. He was like, you know, picking the right lanes, which I think Akers a little bit struggled with. Um, He was just kind of like pressing a little bit too hard or something. It just didn't seem to have a good grasp on like where he was supposed to run all the time. And so, um, yeah, Brown, you know, finished with 79 yards, two touchdowns. I think, you know, going into Sunday night football, he's like the RB five and half PPR. So he had a big week. I think the Rams offense is just designed to get a lot of production from running backs as well. Uh, Sean McVay is going to be the type of guy who always leans on that running game. He's good. He's the type of guy that's going to get his running backs involved in the passing game. And so until acres, I guess, can seize the lead back role. Brown looks like a very attractive target. I totally agree. And I love your point about the Rams offense, because to me, it's not just about the back skill set. You know, Brown hasn't really been an efficient runner so much so far in his career, but the, the offensive line for the Rams took a big step back last season. Two years ago, they were the number one team in adjusted line yards. Last year, just 19th best. With mm-hmm. some established guys you know, like Rob Havenstein and uh, Austin Blythe, they had a lot worse years in terms of blown block, block rate than they had the year before. I could see bounce backs there. They looked really strong just kind of visually to me uh, last night. And so I I could see that kind of being a boost for Brown in the short term. And then if Akers takes over long term, whoever's running on that team could could have a really nice season. Yeah, for sure. And I think their passing game, too, is going to be improved over last year, um, which, 
you know, is going to give those running backs more chances to have, like punch it in around the, in the red zone and stuff like that. So um, yeah, definitely like worth grabbing at least, you know, for the next few weeks where he's certainly looking like he's going to be the lead back in that backfield. Speaking of improved passing games, at least I hope since I'm a Panthers fan, I'm going to bring up Robbie <laughs> Anderson as my second guy here. Uh, you know, I think Anderson was kind of ignored in a lot of fantasy football circles this offseason, and it's really just because of, of Teddy Bridgewater. Traditionally, yeah. Bridgewater's been a very conservative quarterback, very low average depth of target. But while I sort of had the same snap judgment as everybody else that, oh my God, Bridgewater's just going to give McCaffrey and, and DJ Moore all of the targets this year, the more I've thought about it, the more I've wondered whether that might not be the case. So Bridgewater's low ADOT seasons came with both the Vikings and Saints, who have very conservative head coaches, whose other quarterbacks, Kirk Cousins and Drew Brees, have also had very low average depths of target. So to me, maybe it's a question of whether Bridgewater has been conservative by coaches' decisions and not because of any skill set related issues. And in fact, last season, Bridgewater had the fifth highest uh, accuracy rate on deep passes, 16 plus yards down the field, 56.5%. It wasn't a ton of attempts overall or deep either, but it's enough to make me wonder whether he may kind of push the ball down the field a little bit this season. And we saw that a bit in week one, nine passes, at least 16 yards in the air, 8.2 yard a dot, much higher than his previous career rate and top 10 among players that played before Monday night. So if, if that's what Bridgewater is going to be like, and that's what the new Joe Brady offense is going to be for the Panthers, then I think Anderson could actually have a lot more value than people thought on draft day. Yeah, absolutely. He, it is so interesting that we kind of all just forgot about him <laughs> during the off season. I think he that's was true. like yeah. essentially off everyone's radars. And then, you know, of course he comes in and leads the team in uh, receptions. It is interesting that, you know, he spread the ball out. Bridgewater did to Anderson Moore and Samuel basically pretty much evenly eight targets, nine, eight targets for Anderson, nine targets for more, eight targets for Samuel. So yeah. Um, yeah. It's going to be one of those things where, you know, you could see a different uh, receiver lead this team, you know, every game, but I think Anderson certainly is kind of like come out of nowhere to, to remind us that, you know, he's a pretty good player when he's healthy last year too. And the year before that, it's just kind of yeah. had a hard time, you know, staying healthy and staying consistent. This is kind of like a bonus recommendation. It doesn't count as one of my, my six, but you know, Bridgewater himself, if this is going to be the case, could be a valuable fantasy option, at least to start in the better matchups. Because yeah. like, not only is this offense a lot better than I think many of us expected it to be, if the Panthers' defense is as bad as it looked, and they're so young, there's, there's probably little they can do um, to, to improve in the short term. They're just going to have to chuck the ball all over the field. And so Bridgewater could have a lot more pass attempts, even if he isn't necessarily the most efficient player on a per-attempt basis. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, there's going to be more more volume there than I think anyone kind of like pictures when we think about uh, Teddy Bridgewater. Yeah, yeah. Definitely different than he's looked in the past. Okay, Danny, give us your third choice, uh, most interesting waiver pick this week. So this guy is someone that I kind of been talking about over the last few weeks. He kind of got some hype in Buccaneers camp, and that's Scotty Miller, the second-year receiver how to bowling green of all places. I think it was a six round pick for the, for the Buccaneers last year. Um, so he, you know, kind of lived up to his preseason hype and, and was a real factor in the Buccaneers, you know, passing offense. Obviously there was a little bit of uh, garbage time involved in there, but um, ended up with five targets, 73 yards, six, uh, sorry, five catches on six targets for 73 yards. Um, you know, he was, it, it looks like he has a pretty strong connection with Tom Brady, which is obviously an important thing. He has his trust. There was another play. I think he probably missed out on like a 30 or 40 yard gain 
Yeah. At one point in the game that got called for DPI, he had like the defender had his hand kind of like pinned to his body. And so he just barely missed this one handed grab down the sideline. So um, there was some potential hidden yards there as well. So um, yeah, I think he's definitely really interesting, particularly if Mike Evans continues to kind of have issues with his hamstring going forward, you know, he did end up playing most of the game, but um, felt like he wasn't at full ability necessarily last night. And so um yeah, I think Miller just kind of like, you know, it's a cliche, like Brady has made so many of these like shifty, like white slot receivers or whatever. Like he, I don't really feel like he even fits into that category necessarily though, because he's a pure speed guy. He can play on the outside. Um, yeah. He he did run like a four, three and has the ability to line up kind of all over the field. But I do think he at the same time does have the ability to be that really, um, you know, quick, inside guy who can run like those option routes get open for Tom Brady if they're trying to get into like the quick passing game um so I think there's something there you know and I think you know the the preseason hype was warranted you know because he came came out and and played pretty well early on so just a lot of mouths to feed in that offense but I think he's definitely a guy to kind of like pick up and at least stash on your bench and see how everything kind of plays out Yo, I totally agree there, Danny. And you kind of hit on sort of my point of this with the Evans note, that while Evans wasn't really seeing a lot of targets because he was playing hurt, he did play 93% of the team's offensive snaps compared to 94% for Godwin. And Miller still found 61% of the offensive snaps. And this is something that it's yeah. it's not totally surprising. I mean, we, we know with with Gronk and with, with OJ Howard, they're kind of loaded at tight end and they're loaded at skill position any kind of all over the place. But Bruce Arians does have a, a sort of a history of relying on 11 personnel and just not really heavily targeting the tight ends. Mm-hmm. Based on my research, last season was his highest tight end target share at 19.6% in his coaching career. And that was good for just 16th in the league last season. Wow. Meanwhile, OJ Howard played just 53% of the snaps. Gronk played more, 77%. That's more than Miller, but he also blocked a lot. I yep. think this just may be a case where, you know, Miller's going to be the third wide receiver that's out there getting targets. You mentioned that he he's kind of multi-talented. It's not just a slot receiver. Really, Godwin, I thought I saw him more in the slot than, than uh, yeah. Miller last, yeah. last night anyway. So I could definitely see that being the case. I guess the, the better question, since you have that draft expertise, is is he like a former lacrosse player? Like, where, <laughs> where is all this this skill and chemistry with Brady yeah. coming from? <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. No, I, I, I don't actually, I didn't study it. He was one of those like, you know, really <laughs> totally just sort of like sleeper yeah. dudes that played at a small school. And um, he was really productive at Bowling Green and obviously tested through the roof athletically. He's kind of like the, the the unknown version of Andy Isabella, if you really want to, you know, compare it yeah. to a speedy white, another speedy white guy. That's, that's more like who he kind of reminds me of. But, um, you know, at this point, it feels like he's probably a better player. So, um, it's, it's interesting to kind of see where it all goes. And, and it is noteworthy that I think it was 2015 or 2016. I can't remember off the top of my head, but, um, when Arians was in Arizona and he had Carson uh, Palmer under center, they had John Brown caught, he, he caught like a thousand yards or whatever that season. And he was playing on an offense with Larry Fitz and Michael Floyd, who was a first round pick. So he was, you know, ostensibly the third guy on that offense. He still had a thousand yards. So that's like, I think the best case scenario, and I'm not necessarily calling yeah. that, but um, it is worth noting that that's sort of like in the range of outcomes for Scotty Miller, 73 yards in week one are pretty damn good. 
Yeah. I mean, to me, it's not unrealistic at all. I think that me and probably a lot of people were, were thrown off the scent by the team drafting Tyler Johnson uh, in the mid rounds in the drafts. Yeah. Somebody that I, I know looks good by some of the football outsiders metrics, but I'll point out that Johnson was a healthy and active in this game. And I know that he was hurt a lot kind of leading into the season. It may have sort of delayed his start to the season, but it looks clear to me after one start that, that Miller is the clear third wide receiver there and probably third receiving option even ahead of Gronk. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Okay, then I'll close this up with my last player, Dallas Goddard, tight end of the Philadelphia Eagles. You know, I'll kind of start this with, I guess, a little bit of gossip, which is always fun. Apparently, (laughs) number one tight end Zach Ertz and GM Howie Roseman got into a heated argument about Ertz wanting a contract extension just this last week. And I'm not going to say that's related to the fact that Ertz was held to just one catch for six yards in the last three quarters of the game, but it's... To me, I guess it really wouldn't be shocking if the team moved on from Ertz after this season and kind of let Goddard become the guy because Goddard, frankly, is just a very talented player. He actually has a higher DVOA over the last two seasons than Ertz. I mean, they're kind of right neck and neck. But really, from a fantasy perspective, it doesn't matter how effective Ertz is because the Eagles are a heavy relier on two tight end formations, 43% two years ago, up to 57% last year. Both of those led football. And I can't really see why they would move away from it, given how young and injured all of their wide receivers are. So, I mean, Goddard could be a top 10 tight end, even as the second tight end on the same team, which is, I mean, crazy to think about, but I could see it happening. Yeah. I mean, I I believe, I'm I'm just quoting this off the top of my head, but I believe I saw he was a top 12 tight end last year. Yeah, Um, he was. So he's definitely, it's not... It's not like that wild to think that he could be a top 10, potentially higher. I think he was the tight end two this week so far, you know, pending, um, mm-hmm. pending Monday night football games. But yeah, I mean, he, 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 look, he's a really talented player. We've been talking about this guy for a couple of years. I believe he was the second round pick, you know, the, the talent is there. It just kind of was never, he was, he was just a little bit too low on, on the pecking order, I guess, over the last couple of seasons. And um, like you were saying with injuries, young receivers are still trying to kind of work out, their their pecking order at the receiver position and even Deshaun Jackson like was out for big stretches of the game you know on Sunday and so um yeah it's almost like he's you know I don't want to I don't want to prematurely call out the changing of the guard because I don't think it's necessarily happened yet but um he was certainly you know better than Ertz or at least more dynamic than Ertz in this game he offers I think more of like a uh, after the catch element than Ertz, you know, a lot of Philly fans, it's kind of like an inside joke that Ertz is a catch and fall guy. And and so, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I think Goddard is just one of those guys that could, he, he's more in the, in the Kelsey Kittle spectrum of, of, of playmakers where you can get him the ball in space and he can like create and stuff like that. Um, so it makes sense that they try to want to, they want to get him more involved. And so, yeah, it, I, we've been waiting for it though. So I'm I'm a little reticent to like say it's here because yeah, you know, it's I mean, just like he's like a post hype guy, but like I really hope it is here because he's so good. Yeah, and I I just don't think you don't have to have Ertz be bad for Goddard to be good in fantasy this season. I think that's the yeah, main point yeah. for fantasy players to take away. Okay, Danny, I thought that was really fun, sort of a quick hit of things. I'll, I'll point out to the listeners that I have a, uh, a waiver wire article with a, a lot more names on it uh, up on footballoutsiders.com Tuesday morning. But Danny, why don't you tell us what you have going on at The Ringer, both from a waiver wire perspective and tell us about the new podcast. Yeah, so actually we just uh, published the latest episode of The Ringer Fantasy Football Show. It's got a lot of uh, a lot of the waiver wire talk that we just mm-hmm. had just now on there. Um 
And yeah, we're going to be coming at you guys three times a week. So go check that out and subscribe, please. Thanks. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I really appreciate you joining the show, Danny. Everybody check out all of his great work at The Ringer and that of his you know, co-workers, all the other Dannys and Craig over there at, <laughs> at The Ringer. Um, yeah. And meanwhile, thanks so much for everybody for listening to this episode of the Football Outsiders Fantasy Podcast. We will see you again this Friday talking about all of the DFS plays for this week. That's right.